Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Changing your life one story at a time. This is the Chicken Soup for the Soul podcast with Editor-in-Chief Amy Newmark. Hey, it's Amy Newmark, and I'm back with two more inspiring and surprising stories from Chicken Soup for the Soul, Messages from Heaven, and Other Miracles. These stories will make you wonder. And if you've ever worried about what happens to our loved ones when they die, these stories will give you comfort. In our first story, Deacon Sylvie Phillips tells us that her husband Jim used to take their son Michael along with him when he rode his bike. Four-year-old Michael would be strapped into the child seat behind his dad. But one day, Michael began complaining loudly that his dad was sitting too far back on the bike and squashing Sam. This happened several times, and Sylvie and Jim concluded that Sam must be Michael's imaginary friend. So Jim decided to play along, and he asked Michael a few questions. How old is Sam? Sam is five. One day, Jim asked, how is Sam doing? Does he like riding on the bike? And Michael replied rather indignantly, as if his father should know, Sam's not a boy, she's a girl, and she's not my friend, she's my sister. Well, Jim and Sylvie were stunned. They had never told Michael that Sylvie had miscarried before she had him, and that if that baby had been a girl, her name was going to be Samantha and Samantha would have been a year older than Michael. So she would have been five, just like Michael's imaginary sister named Sam. A few months afterward, Michael seemed to stop seeing Sam, but he always remembered her. And a couple of years later, Sylvie heard someone ask Michael if he was an only child, and he replied, no, I have a sister. Fast forward 15 years, Michael was 21, And unfortunately, Jim was diagnosed with an aggressive brain tumor just before his 58th birthday. He fought it, but it was hopeless, and they prepared for the inevitable. About a month before he died, Sylvie noticed that Jim's spirit seemed to be uplifted by something, and she asked him if anything had happened. He said that he had seen a vision of a young woman who greeted him with the words, I've waited a long time to meet you, Dad. Somehow, he knew this was Samantha. In his vision, she had taken him into a room where a lot of people were present. He had known some of them in this life, but they had died already. Others he didn't recognize, but he still knew he had some deep connection with them because Samantha was introducing him to each one. Jim's vision lessened his fears about death considerably. It was as if he knew all these people would be waiting to greet him. Sylvie says, I could only marvel at what he told me, and I thanked God for the comfort it had obviously brought him. (music) 
So four-year-old Michael had an imaginary friend who was just like the sibling his mom had miscarried. How did he know? Perhaps it was just a coincidence. But our next story is hard to explain away as a coincidence. Elise Seafried tells us that her beautiful, headstrong, 23-year-old sister Maureen was dead. She had lived her life at 200 miles an hour, taking too many chances, most in the name of love for her family and friends. She was known for driving out late at night to rescue people who had run out of gas or to pick up folks who needed rides. So perhaps it was no great surprise that she met her fate in a car at four in the morning as her Datsun crumpled against a utility pole on Atlanta Street. The family moved through the funeral and all the arrangements in a blur. They made endless calls to loved ones, sharing the horrible news. But they didn't tell Grandma Berrigan, who had dementia. There was no point telling her. She would forget. And she would just keep asking about Maureen, and then they'd have to tell her over and over again. Several months after Maureen's death, Elisa's mom flew up to New York to visit her mother. She was worried about the visit because her mother always asked about the granddaughters in birth order. So what would she say to her mother when her mother asked about Maureen? Surprisingly, when her mother listed all the granddaughters, she skipped right over Maureen's name, and Elisa's mom was so relieved. But then, after they had discussed all the granddaughters that Grandma had asked about, she continued, and she said, and the little one who died. Well, Elisa's mom sat there in shocked silence. She was 100% sure that no one had told Grandma about Maureen's death. And then calmly, Grandma went on, Maureen, yes, she comes to me, you know, sometimes at night, sometimes when I'm sitting in my chair, she talks to me. Maureen didn't want to go out that night, you know. She wanted to stay home with you. Her friends called after you were asleep. Elisa's mom couldn't believe it. How would her mother know this? It was true. Maureen had been home and then had gone back out to give a friend a ride she had scrawled a note and left it on the kitchen table, and her mom had found the note in the morning after the police woke her up by knocking on the door to tell her the bad news. And then her mother continued, Dear, Maureen needs you to stop crying. She is fine. She's very happy, except she's worried about all of you. Your tears are holding her back from where she needs to go next. Well, the incredible visit continued, and Grandma Berrigan was more alert than she had been in years. She didn't repeat a single question. And when at last they parted, she took Elisa's mom's hands in both of hers and she squeezed them and she said, Maureen loves you so much. Please know that. Elise says that her grandmother lived quite a few more years, but that was the last time that she and Elisa's mom had a lucid conversation. And grandma never mentioned Maureen again to anyone. Elise says the miracle of that afternoon stayed with us my sister had reached out to us through my grandmother. Now, a friend of their family who was a priest said that the story made sense because maybe people with dementia live with one foot on earth and one foot in heaven. Maybe Elise's grandmother was like a bridge to the other world. Whatever the reason, Elise and her family were greatly comforted by this strange event. It truly is a mystery. How did grandma know? So that's it for today. 
Two thought-provoking stories from Chicken Soup for the Soul, Messages from Heaven, and Other Miracles. I'm Amy Newmark. If you want to learn more about our new books and everything else going on at Chicken Soup for the Soul, join the more than 2 million people who follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, or visit our website, chickensoup.com. If you'd like to learn more about Chicken Soup for the Soul, Messages from Heaven, and Other Miracles, you can find it on our website, chickensoup.com by clicking the podcast button and looking at our featured books. Come back for our next episode to meet Connie Pullen and hear her two stories from the book. We'll also talk about her life as a very successful Chicken Soup for the Soul writer and how she does it. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.